0: i with these guys and recorded with these guys, though, to bring out sounds and musicians that I know.
1: Please welcome to the stage Bioga. Now, Ed Sheeran fever has broken out in Cork as the pop megastar begins the first of nine Irish concert dates in the Rebel Red City. Along with those supporting Ed Sheeran tonight is traditional band Bioga, including the original
2: Galway Girl. I think I'll be running away from that for the rest of my life. But no, I mean, it's a really big thing for us. We our first <laughs> it is an amazing feeling, you know. It is an amazing stadium, feeling. So and every artist thing. in the world says us that Ireland is the best country in the world to play in. So I don't know. I've only done the one stadium tour myself. <laughs> but it's kind of special to have gotten to do that in Ireland. Like, and Parky as is a, kind of a special place in terms of my family history as well, you know. So, you know, that place was where... My great uncles and my family would busk and, you know, years later I'm getting to play with inside the walls of that stadium and it's just that connection is, is pretty incredible, really. I'm Neve Dunn, so I am the daughter of Mickey Dunn, a giant in my life, both musical and otherwise. On the summer day when oh, look at this
3: So what are you typing in there? Michael Dunn Oh, and the Dunn brothers maybe Do you ever see the one about Peckers? they would be cousins of mine that anyone can play a fiddle Did you ever see that clip? Did you ever see
2: it? I don't think so, does <laughs> one. This is one of Peckers there
3: would be cousins of ours It's funny though
2: And is a Pecker in the video?
3: No, his father is though Oh, his father Barney was Barney, Barney, Bernard.
4: Bar- but there was areas first Still appreciate is it difficult to make a living playing the violin around the towns and and cities of
0: Ireland?
1: I won't complain to anyone.
0: You never have it shown yourself. No, no, I
3: did not that. Jump you sign it out. Do so you can. Fair, so I'll well,
2: all these old tricks, didn't it, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: We must try that, Dad. We've never tried this. have and hear him plan He's Michael. Michael, another Michael done. And was he related to you? I'd was a lovely, sweet, sweet tone, this one I
2: I would have been aware that I was involved in a, a long tradition of music because the people around us would tell us, kind of, and Dad would talk about it a little bit, but...
3: Of my
2: father. I suppose I probably took it for granted a bit like most people do with their family backgrounds you know we all know the story but I think it's probably only since I kind of went to university and in the last kind of 10-15 years that I really have a kind of sense of it's important and it matters and it's valuable Sounds and true. it traces my music too in its own way so I suppose when I was young and when I was a teenager I knew about the Blind Dumb Brothers, and I knew about my grandfather and all the beautiful photos of him. My grandfather used to stand up really straight. He was had a really straight back when he played the fiddle. And uh, I, I remember looking at those photos and going, oh God, I should be standing up a bit straighter. But, um, yeah, um, but it was only later, I think, that I really kind of appreciated the kind of richness of it and the, the identity of it, I suppose, yeah. But uh, I suppose you get older, you start to think about these things a little bit differently.
0: These are my two uncles now.
2: to see from that as well. The the eyesight wasn't great with them.
3: No, they have a very poor eyesight. Near they were almost totally blind, really.
2: And were they born blind?
3: They were. Yeah, they had cataracts. Like that could be cured today. Yes, yeah, back I in the thirties and twenties and thirties, they didn't, didn't know much about it. You see the timble?
2: The timble, yeah. Wow. Well, were they married?
3: M- Michael was married. Michael was married. Christy never married, no.
2: Yeah. would talk about them I mean I remember even Tony McManus and Micheala Suluwan and all the Frankie Gavin all these great musicians you know would all say that they used to stand and listen to them for hours on end and I suppose I remember kind of being quite proud of that I mean particularly Frankie it was Frankie Matt
5: as a kid you know
2: So we're just on our way here to Milton Malby and we're passing the door of Pat Costello, a great musician and broadcaster, so we're going to call in and I think he'll have some, some memories of, of seeing and hearing the Blind Dunn brothers at matches back in the day.
0: The yes, Known as the Duns to us. I'd say my earliest memory would be roughly the top of my head reaching my father's hip pocket in the square in Thirlus mm-hmm. on the day of a big match. Now, I saw them several places after that. I would have been extremely young when I saw them first. And hearing the music, used to hearing music at home and around at home and from the, 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 the lads in the band and so forth, but this was different. This was very, very, very different. You know, it was a very particular sound to it. I think the sound the sound of the banjo and the fiddle together, that's what that, that caught my ear. It was, it was quite extraordinary, it was magical.
2: And would it be a case that people would kind of gather around them? Would there be kind of a little crowd forming and put in their few quids?
0: And Interesting, but no, in right. fact. That's not what I remember at all. Uh, in, in fact, we'd be one of the few that would actually stop and talk to them. But everyone would, would contribute. I remember the, the little bag for collecting the money was hanging on the neck of the banjo, on, on one of the pegs, on, on, on top of the banjo. And people would put their little contributions into that. But the music, the music you would hear loud and, 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 and clear uh, all over the place. You would hear it, first of all, at a distance. And that's what I remember. That's what I remember. And lots of people had it. Most people would pass on busy about thinking about the match and talking about the day or the hay was down or, you know, they really be better off. They should be in the bargain instead of going to this match. And what would have going to be at our anyway? So what are we doing here? And then behind it, the backdrop to it all was the music.
3: Yeah, it interesting to hear Paddy talking about the little bag. What that was called a bottling bag. That's the name the travellers had for that bag, Paddy. And they would hook it onto the banjo. Do you know, so they would stand up playing and people would just drop the money into this bottle. A bottling bag, that's what it was called. And I remember it so well.
2: Do you know where that word came from? Why do they call it a bottli-
3: bottling bag? A bottling bag, yeah. yeah. I haven't a clue where it came from, Niamh. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but that's what it was called. Okay. And I remember... There was other times when they would play, especially my two eldest brothers, Patrick and Johnjo. My mother would walk with this bottle and bag up the, the side of the pitch paddy, you know, yeah. and they would be playing and they would walk up to the crowds.
0: Yeah.
3: Would, this wouldn't be at Munster final days, no, this would oh, be at smaller matches years, yeah. in Newmarket and Fergus, and she would collect all the people all the way up along. Yeah. And I remember that so well, I was only six or seven.
2: Do you know, did your brothers ever play with them? Or were, that, were they always two separate things?
3: They were always two separate okay. things. Now, in the earlier days, there was another brother with him, Joseph Hant that we used to call him. And there was three of them at one time. But he got married, so the other two boys then played away. Paddy, it, it was a... You know, t- t- there were totally different times. Like, I mean, you, you would probably agree with this, that it, a lot of people are playing music today know it's a hobby. It's a yeah. pastime. Yeah. But for them, it was a necessity. It was absolutely a, an essential way of life. Because oh, yeah. they had no other income. Being... Being travellers was bad enough, but being blind was really, really critical because they, they had no income and they wouldn't have survived only for the music. Yeah. So it was a lot more important to them, music, than just a hobby. Do you know? It was their life, it was their livelihood, it's how they fed us, it's how we got clothed, yeah. it's how they bought their house, their caravans and yeah. stuff. It was a, a huge thing.
0: I think as well that people don't, uh, we're, 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 slow to put the, we're slow to put the correct vocabulary on things, you know. Uh, if you went to a, a specialist, a career specialist now, you would tell you, well, they were using the resources which they had, which that's exactly what they were doing, that's a fancy word on it. But what they were doing is they were doing what they did extremely well, which was playing music. And another thing to remember as well, which I think tends to get forgotten, is that this was a hugely honourable and, and respected um, activity. And you'd hear something that you wouldn't normally hear, which was the music. You would hear it quite differently. The music was very local. In our young days, the music was very local. You know, it was from here to whatever distance you could walk or cycle. And no, no, no great, great girth to it, if you like. So, obviously, the music that the Duns made was, was fascinating and strange. It was like Radio Luxembourg.
2: So, if you could put your finger... On what it is about the style or how they played. What was it that made it so different and kind of noteworthy?
0: The music that the Duns played was incredibly subtle. It was very subtle and very distinct, and the dance music was very distinct.
2: Do you remember it the same, or would you have a different kind of a take on the way that they played?
3: Well, the thing that I remember, Niamh, is that, especially the fiddle players, they, they would be quite comfortable playing classical pieces you know playing Fritz Kreisler and they could do it to perfection I remember m- my father and my uncles Mick and Hanta playing the fiddles and the third position and fourth position was just pure natural and uh, do you see Paddy's mentioned there you know, when when people traveled they brought music back from different parts of the country like Paddy would know that, 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 in that in those days there was an awful lot of regional styles you know people in East Clare would play a certain way people what in West Clare but travellers would come from Donegal with tunes. My father was playing with Johnny Doherty for years and he came back here then and he started playing Donegal music and that's what made him a bit more attractive too. It was different.
2: I suppose for me, it's really hard to kind of wrap your head around that because we're, music is so accessible now you can hear whatever you want with the touch of a button. So the idea that this was bringing something that you would have never heard before if you were living down in Waterford or you're living up in yeah.
3: well, well, I, 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 Pad O'Loughlin, oh, the famous Padora Lachlan who passed away not long ago, he told me, he said... He only ever went back to Milton Malbert two or three times as a young lad right. So he would never have heard much music other than that West Clare kind of stuff And then the travellers would come and people like Johnny Dorn came and played this incredible music Leg to you? Oh, I fucking hopped my knee off the wall. Did you? Oh, I? Jesus, Pete. Pe- should have got a few stitches. Patrick, that's a bad thing to be done. I don't know, because of the amount of alcohol I lost. <laughs> <laughs> How are you getting on? Hello, my Where are you after? That's my daughter near. How are you? Oh, yeah. Nice oh, to meet I, you. I recognize your beard. Oh, there you go. That's the one. Surprise. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where are you after? I'm going up to show this lady, we're Johnny Dorn and my cousins. Oh, yeah. After wagons. Back in the good old days. Yeah, yeah. I to play with him when we were kids. Did he? Yeah. The, you see me coming out on the bicycle. One sick piper at large. Did you tell her that story?
0: <laughs> he was back in the scout camp and he got an off-feed of drink. Young lad's like.
3: Yeah.
0: Sure, I my mean, man you, start you. Start started bringing it up. But this old boy that used to live back at the pier, John he was the right character. Yeah. He was coming out of the camp and whoever was going in, he said, don't go there. There's one sick
3: piper at
1: large. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll go on about our business. Yeah, go on. We'll, we'll see, you, see you, Patrick. We'll see you again. Bye bye. Bye now. Good luck. There. Is he here? Oh, yeah, it's very good. Now, this is where we would have camped. We would have come out here on our horse and car and our wagon. So, tell us where we're going now, that. Well, this is where we would have camped one time, Dave, my father, and my, the Duns and the Dorns. And when I camped up here was it was just out of the way and it was quiet, and also there was a forge. And if they needed any work done in the horses' hoofs or the horses or whatever they need done, the blacksmith here used to do it. And that's the forge, just there in front of you. Do you see the little galvanized roof? On the right. On the right, yeah. That was the forge. Down here now was this is where we used to camp. See that bridge? Yeah. Just under that. That's where you'd camp? All along that road there, yeah. Now that's a small little road, right? But there was no cars in those days. All you get is a donkey, car, or a horse and car passing. Just in there, look, to be camped all along there.
2: And what would you mean
3: by camped now? Would you be in the, the wagons? The wagons, yeah. you pull up there, and right? You park your wagon there, you'd leave your horse off in the field, and you could have a tint They are all along there, all along that stretch of road.
2: And how many how many wagons would you have had? Oh, I should
3: We'd have two for all of us, yeah. Fifteen, you? Yeah, well, there wasn't fifteen <laughs> at that time. Well, I suppose. But this is where it was, right? And um, the blacksmith was just back there.
1: Yeah. And how long would they stay in one place usually? Until the,
3: the buskin was done, or they'd come a day before it, or they'd stay a day after it, and head on to the next place. The next job. The next town or whatever we got on. Yeah. And that's that's how they made a living. Well, that's where they would park all along that stretch there. Look, all along there, and they would tackle up the pony, and they could go and get their messages, their groceries, or whatever they needed to get. They could go into the buskin, they could go all around wherever they wanted to go. Also, they would come up to people's houses and play. Do you know?
2: And, I mean, you don't remember that, do you? I don't remember that, but... I that was kind of before your...
3: No, no, I do. Your... I remember in... My father and Patrick used to go off and they would knock at the door and they would start playing. Yeah. And then if the man wanted to give him a few bob, and that, that's how they lived.
2: But I kind of want to know about your memories because you don't remember any of that because that I was... Do.
3: I do I, One of the earliest memories I had was there was a football match on and I remember the crowds, it'd be down along both sides of the field and I remember my two eldest brothers, Patrick and Johnjo, Banjo and Fiddle and my mother had the, the little bottling bag and I was only that height I was only three or four years of age, but I was following on And who who plays now, you and Christy really? Was, well Christy's sick now too, but just me, that's all that's left Do you think that's sad? It is because they were all really, really talented players all excellent players and they never took much, paid much heat to it there's one thing, like, when you, when it's different for me, Neve, I was never made go out and busk.
2: Because you were younger?
3: I was, I was too young, but they were made do it and they kind of got fed up of playing then after years and years and years they happened to do it. I remember John, John just said it to me. He said, We used to have to go out and try and get money to feed you. He said, I just don't care whether I play anymore or not. He said, Do
2: you think they kind of resented it a little bit for a finish up?
3: Niamh, music, like, when it becomes a job, it's like any job. And they just got, got fed up of it.
1: Yeah, but, but isn't it lovely but, here?
3: Can you imagine just parked there? And uh, to see there to your right, you can see it in the, the fresh air and the music. Wouldn't it be lovely?
2: And what would the women be at while their boys were out playing?
3: Well, my mother was great for for the, the bottling. She would, she, you see, over over at the races you now, you'd have to stand up and play. And you'd get the people going in and out. And she please. was great. She would, she would go around with the, the bag. And that's a thing that you'll never again see.
2: And why do you think it was that it was... Years later really that you started, like you didn't start as a kid or as a teenager.
3: No, I, I was late enough. Why though? I don't really know why, but I don't really know. I remember there was a, t- a chanter in the house and I always wanted to play, but I, I was never. I just picked up the whistle one day and started blowing to blow into it and I started, started from there. Then my dad shot seen seeing that I was interested and he started helping me. Then the pipes came along and that was it. I knew that I was going to play, nothing else, only the pipes.
2: And do you remember your dad playing music around the house, say? Would he have played just for his own pleasure in the house when you were a kid?
3: Oh, he would, yeah. I I used to love when he'd take out the fiddle. I'd be watching him, you know, and I'd see him opening the case to play and I'd be delighted because I used to love his music. He was a lovely man. He was my idol. I I was mad about him. You know, he was a lovely old gent. He was a good way about him. Lovely old crack. But sure I owe him so much. He taught me everything. Tell me about your mother as well, because she was a businesswoman, really. She was, and she worked... My mother worked as hard as any two men. My father wouldn't have been great at the work though. He might have been great at the fiddle, but he wouldn't be good for the pulling and dragging. Like, but she did it neat and a huge family, and she was the main. She was the backbone of the whole thing. She worked as hard as any any man. Oh, do you remember? Or
2: maybe you were too young. Do you remember moving into the house?
3: I remember it as if it was yesterday. Go on. I remember we went up. We we, we used to stay in a a place called the bombing field in Limerick. There was a field called the bombing field during the war. And we used to camp along the side of a wall there. But I remember, for for some reason, things changed. All of a sudden, I was only four or five. You know, when you're that age, you don't notice what's happening. Suddenly, we were inside in this house.
2: And do you remember being kind of excited about it? Or would you have been more kind of confused? Or do you remember what the feelings? Or do you just remember being in the house? I
3: suppose... We things started to change then. We, we we were sent to school, you know, and that was all new and one thing about being on the road, you're like you kind of always stuck to yourself. You know? And you mixed probably with travellers. You didn't mix, mix with set of people at all. That was new when I went to school, you know.
2: Would you say that was difficult?
3: It was. Because I felt different. I felt I was a gypsy, I was a traveller, and no one went, when you're especially when you're young, doesn't I'd I'd be proud of it now. But when you're young, you don't want to be different. You don't like to be different, you know, and you want to be like everybody else. And, you know, it was, I found it tough at times, to be honest.
2: I don't remember the big reveal. I don't remember there being a sit down and let's talk about this. It was just part of our story and part of the the kind of narrative, you know, and particularly when we started doing some gigs as a family, it became part of the kind of fabric of, you know, uh, you know, everybody likes an angle, but a kind of the identity of who we were as a family and where our music kind of came from or whatever. Yeah, that kind of just happened in the same way, like that, you know, your father's a farmer. You know, it, it, it's it's... And maybe that's why I haven't ever really, really kind of dug in to that very deeply because it was just part of the story but it was never the story I suppose yeah so it's kind of good to have the opportunity to to just ask questions and I'm definitely learning parts about my life that I never knew and even if I knew the vague outline of the story it's different when you get the details you know so I'm kind of enjoying that. I feel like it's a, a new kind of closeness, maybe, with my dad. You've got to be careful.
3: That's a piece of boxwood, which is very... It's beautiful wood to turn, lovely and soft, but very hard-wearing too. And would
2: you use the boxwood for pipes? Would you?
3: Yeah. Would you? Makes a lovely chanter.
2: You used to use the horse bone, did you? Oh,
3: did
2: you? We used to have horse bones on the roof at this, this um, that's, workshop. That's a bone of a horse. We were so creeped out. <laughs> what about the young fella said to you, where'd you get the bones from the horses? <laughs> you were telling him all about the pipes and that was the only thing he was interested in. I'll switch it on.
3: Yep. I'll just come a little bit here.
2: In terms of you, I mean, you were a full-time musician for years. I was, yeah. That's what I did for a lot
3: of years and I developed a big drinking problem with it. Neither of it goes with it. Do you know, I was in a pub six nights a week and drank six nights a week and eventually I developed into alcoholism and it almost killed me and it almost destroyed us as a family, to be honest. i can go into that if you like. I have no problem talking about that. It was an awful, awful time. But a good came out of it because when I stopped drinking and I got help, I had to go to help for help for it, but one good thing that came out of it was that I, I, I started to make ill and pipes. That's what I did. Do you know, they were advising me that I, I would have... to See, I was off all every day of the week. I'd play at night, and Mammy was a teacher. And I was off, and I'd mind Jeeba Jeeba got to school then. And I would go to the pub, and they advised me in the treatment centre that I'd have to get um, find something to do to keep me occupied during the day. And I started making pipes. Now, I was messing around making reeds at that time. But I started to make pipes anyway, and I got great help from Killian O'Brien. And he started me off, and I've been doing it ever since,
2: you know. So it was kind of a lifeline for you in terms of it kept you in the scene of music, but without having to be in the pub six nights a week.
3: Well, it did, and I was I I was doing what I loved, but it also kept kept me occupied during the day. you know? Give me something to focus on and to keep my mind right because idle mind it's it's the devil's play- playground. The same when you have nothing to do, the she's drink looms large. Do you know?
2: I'll, we'll just do a verse and a chorus. I am a rambling
1: Irishman In Ulster I was born in And many's the happy hours I spent On the banks of sweet Rock Arryn. For to live poor I could not endure as others of my station. To America I sailed away. And left this Irish, Irish nation. Right, right, nation. Right tan, tan 있지만,
2: tom, na na. Tan na na. tan tan na na. and That's the one we usually do together anyway. It's a taste of it. <laughs> I don't draw from the same place when I'm trying to make a comparison between the singing and the fiddle playing. Maybe a little bit, maybe little certain elements or whatever, but I always find when I play the fiddle, I feel very free and it sounds totally hippy, dippy kind of carry on now, but I do, I always feel totally lost in it. And whereas the singing, I I think I I go into a different place inside me and it's more of a, a connecting with something deeper. Not that the, songs are deeper than the tunes because they're not but I just physically kind of embody them in a different way for whatever reasons um, yeah I get lost in the fiddle and I really deeply connect when I sing so yeah
3: My dad used to tell me he said that some nights when they would be back here Johnny Dorn would be parked here and they would be down here and they would knock at the Caravan for the loan of a fiddler Usually you'd be looking for a loan of a bit of sugar or a bit of, soap of milk. <laughs> but they used to say up to the duns for a loan of a fiddler. And I can imagine that what it was like there to hear my father and Johnny playing up there at the fire after when everything was done, and you can imagine it wouldn't it be lovely to be taping it, and the freedom here you can even feel it, Do you know, the sea behind me there and the wind, and the air and it's just oh. I'd say they were miles ahead of their time.
2: You were kind of saying it earlier in the car as well, like that. I suppose you don't know, but you always kind of think, or do you think, that your dad kind of missed it? That when he settled, that he missed the, the life of being out outdoors and out on the roads? And...
3: Well, he did, I think, he He absolutely loved it. Did he, did he talk about it? No, not much, no. When you settled in Limerick, did he still play for a living? No. He got sick, Niamh. He was sick. We settled, I'd, I'd say it was around 1961 or two.
2: And is that why they sick?
3: decided to settle,
2: really, was because his head... No, no,
3: no, no, no that was, that's not why they decided to settle. Things had changed. And my mother thought that, you know, things will really have changed. And there was trucks flying up and down. Up it was dangerous. It became dangerous on the roads. It wasn't like it was 40 years before that. And coming into the 60s, life was changing.
2: So that was kind of it. It
3: was really just
2: to go move with the times and start a new life I think so it was time to settle down
3: time, things, times change and, and everybody settled then again my, my eldest daughter like she, she, Breed she was talking about she she dived back into this and there was a reason that the government came up with some that we had to settle do you know we must look into that yeah.
2: I feel sorry for your dad though that that was kind of taken away from him or that choice was taken away from him
3: well if his dad was a fiddle player John Dunn that's all he ever knew that, that was their life they knew nothing about living in a house. Even his father then was a burner dun in the eighteen hundreds, and he was a fiddle player. And he played on the street. So the music with the dun is like it's not it's 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 just There's a great old saying Prishan and Dukas. Do you know that saying?
2: Nature breaks out.
3: <laughs> Prishan and Dukas Trahul don't quit on quit. Nature breaks through the eyes of the cat. And it certainly is the case with us because you played and I remember you taking up the fiddle, you were only three or four <laughs> and you just took off. And you loved it and it, and it was just pure natural. Yeah. So it came down from Bernard Dunn back in the eighteen hundreds to John Dunn, my great my grandfather, to his son Paddy, which was my father. And then to you and Breed. But how come
2: you decided we were going to be fiddle players? Is that harken back to the tradition of it in the family?
3: Well all the duns played fiddles they evolved, all down through the generations. The banjo was an exception, or there was one or two banjo players, but they were all fiddle players. And I one of the reasons I encouraged you to play it was that it's a ver it's the most versatile instrument of all, I think. You can play anything on it. No, you could say the piano is, but you can't be carrying that around everywhere. <laughs> but the fiddle I'm kinda glad you picked the fiddle, I think. But the fiddle is so and I I knew like I mean in fairness, <laughs> ma'am, we we'll give you we we'll give you an opportunity to get trained, get the classical training, which I knew that you could play anything. Then
2: it gives you a choice. It gives you a choice. Yeah. I wonder, would you say that they had two different musical lives? Nearly, that there was the one where they had to go out and make
3: the money, but then there was this other one where it was for the love. It was their work. It was their job. But I was just saying, like, can you imagine sitting here with Johnny Dorn and the fiddle and the pipes playing for fun for their own for their, fun, o- for their exactly. own pleasure? It's kind it of, be, it it's kind of the
2: most romantic notion. i standing here looking at looking up that little road. It's really hard to picture it, but, you know. And I know it wasn't all a bed of roses either, but there was definitely something in that way of life, wasn't there?
3: Oh, there was, yeah. There was There was something romantic about it, all right. But he loved it, you know. And I love Quilty. I really do.
2: Will we go up and look at where you camped? We will. We'll do that, will we? We'll do that. It'll be nice to kind of... <laughs> 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 we'll play a tune for all the The musicians that passed up and down this road. What are you going to play?
3: I think I'll play a reel, will I? Do. I'm not really
2: sure when the shift between, you know, when things changed. I mean, was it a certain day or week? I mean, I know the Peckers' would have been a, a great pal of ours down through the years, but he wrote songs about it, like about the old days are over and it's time to To change, and I can't imagine how sad and difficult that must have been, because it was all they knew. It was their life, like. So that one always, that side of it, always makes me really sad. You know, that they were forced to be somebody else. My
1: family live in Wexford town. Stopped travelling and settled down. Though my father owned a horse and cart, we lived within the town. The people there misunderstood, they did not know our ways. So with horse and cart, back on the road we begin. I've done
5: so many gigs with Dad and that he has told the story of his family and he has chatted about it and placed, you know, music in the context of it and I feel like nearly every time there's a slightly different angle do you know what I mean? Every time he talks about it it's like his thinking progresses a little bit more Um, It's interesting. It's really, really interesting. I think as well, like he would kind of say that there's so many stories. He's like, oh, they're not.
2: Nobody's interested in those. But we are. We really are. And sometimes, you know, when you're telling a story, you nearly need to tell it like you're a child. Forget the context. (laughs) You know, that's what I kind of found interesting. And then it kind of dawns on me that we have never really sat down and actually talked about it or I've never kind of gotten
5: your take on it. Oh, jeez, no. (laughs) No, and this is the thing, because I've been thinking about it, obviously, knowing that we were coming up to have a chat. And, you know, I've been thinking about, like, my background, occupational science, occupational therapy and how the things we do are good for us. Like, we do things that are meaningful to us and it's good for our health. And that, from the perspective of a whole community, if a community does things that's meaningful for it, the health of the community is better. Likewise, if you're prevented from doing things, the health of a community will suffer. So you have a situation with the travelling community that because of policy and because of changes in modern life and, you know, the needs of communities and rural communities completely changed because, you know, you, don't, you didn't need a tinsmith to fix mm-hmm. buckets on the farm. You could listen to the radio to hear music. Because of those changing needs, they kind of were deprived of participating in these very traditional things that were very meaningful to them. And I do think that speaks to the kind of health issues that we see in the community now. But music maintained its function. Dad and his uncles and his father and their friends, you know, within the community, like the Furies and the Keenans and the whole lot, they still got to play music. That was still valued. They still got to do the thing that they do and that... That occupation was so meaningful for them, and I do think going forward with the traveling community, and this is what I, Jesus, oh, I'm only starting my research, but to explore the idea that music is a thing that can actually be used to better the health of the entire community, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. at That yeah. totally makes sense.
2: Um, we had been dad and I had been talking about it when we were down in um Milton Malby, and he had said um. I read something happened in the 60s. (laughs) And I said, Brie will know about that. So I was kind of hoping we could have a talk about it. Was it the 60s? Yeah. So what I'm kind of asking is that it was more than just modern life and Irish life changing, that there was specific government Mm -hmm. policies
5: put in place that completely cut this way of life. Yeah. I'm 100%. I mean, it's just really interesting to me because I'm not sure if dad is even aware of that particular policy, but to be able to pinpoint it to the 60s absolutely lines up completely with the... uh I have actually had to write the names of these things down because I was like, there's actually a lot of policies down through the decades. I didn't want to say the wrong one. Um, It was the Commission on Itinerancy report. There had been a committee formed from, I think, around the late 50s, and they produced their report in 1963. And the whole thing with this report was that itinerancy was the problem. So traveling from place to place was the problem. There was no sense of, you know, this is their culture. This is their way of life. These are the social needs of the community. These are the things we need to put in place. These are the things we need to, you know, Mm -hmm. respect. They basically just said, right, they have to assimilate. They're going into houses and that's it. Wow. So the assimilation thing happened and it just destroyed the community because you can't just shove someone into a house and expect them to be able to manage when everything they're about Mm -hmm. is designed to be nomadic. They're nomadic at the very core of it. So traveling from place to place, all of the jobs that they did, whether it was tinsmithing or dealing in horses or playing music or storytelling or teaching dancing or running a carnival or any of those things meant they could travel from place to place. So the, the jobs followed the nomadism as opposed to the other way around that whole thing that it all changed in the 60s can really go back to that policy. Yeah. So
2: I suppose I definitely feel like that the travel and music is a big part of my soul and a big part of my history, but I don't feel like a traveller because I never had that lived experience and I've always kind of grappled with my place within the tradition of that and within my own kind of music now. So I suppose the question is, we came up through the same ranks. So where do you sit with that?
5: Like yourself, don't consider myself a traveller. Do not have the lived experience. Do, you know, I think. I think it's dangerous to allow yourself with an experience that you haven't had and to claim to speak on behalf of a community when you haven't had those experiences but at the same time having grown up listening to dad's stories and getting really deep insight into his experiences which are authentic you know um i feel a closeness with i suppose in some ways but i certainly wouldn't consider myself a traveler in terms of music though i think it is part of my music in a way that i can't it's it's it, it's you you can't even say it like you know there's it's 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 ineffable really like it's 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 in there in the notes I play because I have picked them up from the notes that Dad plays in the way he phrases music in the the repertoire in the tonality in what he encouraged the way he could encourage us to play as kids which would have reflected, um, the way his dad and uncles played, and I think it's so tightly bound with the play, way I play it. I don't know if you could ever unpick it. Mm-hmm.
2: So I do feel that I am more comfortable now that I'm a bit older with the little the little part of me that I suppose people might consider to be different. I would just consider it to be special. <laughs> Something I think is it's a beautiful thing to have in my life. Um, I am more comfortable with it, I suppose. In a way, actually, I think I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it still because I still don't really know where I place myself within the travel and tradition of musicians and I'm not sure, I feel it's part of my music but I don't know if I personally fit in or if I have a little place to live in there. I've always kind of felt that you know uh, it's there and it's part of me and it's important but I don't know if I could necessarily claim it as my own you know because I'm I suppose third generation at this stage really. So it's a funny kind of flip between being massively proud of it and thinking it's hugely important in my life and particularly in my music. And then the other side of that going, well, who am I to kind of claim this tradition and lifestyle and beautiful nomadic life that these people endured and enjoyed and lived? And why do I necessarily get to claim that? So I'm really looking forward to heading in here now to speak to Mihalo O'Sullivan, the one and only. Um, he's such a, a trailblazer, I think, in terms of Irish music. And he was actually the head of the Irish World Academy of Music when I studied there for my undergrad for four years. He plays a lot with dad. They've been doing lots of gigs together in in the last while. And uh, I'm pretty sure he has has some insight and some memories of listening to my great uncles play in Cork when he was a student there.
4: The Dunn brothers uh, were regulars outside some of the key uh, shops, large shops in, in, in Patrick Street, or as the Corkonians would say in Panna. And uh, that's, that's they, they had a particular stand and stance. They were almost like the Echo Boys, you know, the guys who were b- b- selling the the the, 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 pay, the paper, you know, Echo, Echo. And you'd hear the sound of the Dunn Brothers, the banjo, the fiddle, you know, cutting across the soundscape. So it became like a, a sonic anchor. It was uh, it was something that grounded. Whether they were actually playing in Pana, in Cork or moving around to various GAA matches or whatever it might happen to be. This was their beat. And this was the equivalent of, of, of what you have now as your global beat that the global streetscape that yourself and Bioga are actually moving on is in a way simply another manifestation. But the most important thing is that the freedom uh, that music requires and demands to actually be heard and to move freely around the place, a bit like air. It's like trying to control air. You can't. It, it gets in under the under the door. Where music, you know, the, and indeed you can still see the the music of uh, nomadic cultures. Why would music be different? Because you actually stay in the same place all the time. Why would music be different? Because you're actually on the move all the time. And of course, then you are uh, because you're on the move. Then the conce- even the concept of boundaries completely is obliterated. You know, and then of course that creates a tension. With people who are structure who have structured their lives within boundaries, and when I the times I've the last few years particularly I've had a few occasions where your dad Mickey and myself have had occasion to have a tune together, and um, I've had as as happens with music I've had a sense of his style, and that style of uh, of no boundaries, which again is in his case with piping. Uh, is represented in a way, in that open style, which has got to do with a certain extent with volume, and it has to do with uh, open fingering rather than tight fingering. So all that sense is a sense of looseness, or what Seamus Heaney once called a gate left open, which actually is an essay he wrote, which is absolutely fabulous. And he's talking actually about the culture of gypsies and the culture of farming. And uh, the farmers are going around and they're saying, who left the gate open? You find the gate open. You know, and for in farming, you do not leave gates open, you see, because all the cattle are gone out in the road and everything. Uh, but within the nomadic lifestyle, of course you'd leave the gate open behind you because there's other people coming. And anyway, you might be going back again. So if you follow that through then into the music, uh, the music that you represent in your style is a gate left open in a way. You have to chase up that. So what you're bringing in the first instance might appear to some people or sound to some people to be uh, extraneous or foreign or outside. But in fact, it's the opposite. I think it's resonating. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why you find such such satisfaction in it yourself. It is, I'm sure, resonating uh, with the deeper parts of yourself.
2: And I do think you're right that what my uncles did is almost mirroring or sorry, what I'm doing is mirroring what my uncles did in a completely new environment and in right. a completely, a much more global sort of sphere. But at the same time, it's really the same thing. It's, it's you know, playing music to make a living. That's right. And yeah. the draw yeah. to being creative.
4: Yes. but well, I think the essential similarity between the Dunn brothers and your own life, sonic lifestyle now is actually much, much closer than other people would realize it. I think your instinct is right. We don't want to talk too much and we don't want to uh, uh, we, we don't want to try and analyze it out of existence because it can't be done. It is a different language. It is a completely different thing and language that we're using now will only bring us so far to the foothills uh, of the mystery of what music is and what this particular music is as well. And nomadism. Uh, is emerging as uh, a key component uh, when our bodies move our cultures move with our bodies and what yoga are doing and other bands and what you are doing is uh, is vital to the uh, life source of all of that And uh, I mean there are of course like huge differences and things in terms of the whole mega uh, recording industry such as as it is now do you know uh, but nonetheless it's it it's a, must be a, somehow or other like being in a Navogue or a corok on a sea you know there's only so much you can control in that you know because the sea is a big beast and there's a lot of undercurrents and things that can so you can you, you can try to maneuver your way around you know but there's a lot of chance in there as well
1: Six, nine, 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 nine.
2: Did I always know I was going to be on the stage? I probably did on some level, but I never really thought about playing music for a living. I mean, anything to do with music and, and my, I use I using used the inverted commas now, career. <laughs> I kind of fell into a lot of it, an awful lot of it kind of happened by accident and I just ran with it. You know, I mean, I got into yoga, but it kind of started off, they kind of wanted a few need to do a few gigs as a singer, and I said, "Grand, no bother." And that kind of happened slowly but surely. It took a while before they gave me the the green lights to be a full time member, and rightly so. Wow. But I mean, we were at a stage like our last album was called "Before We Change Our Minds." I think we were all getting married, and one of the lads had a, had a, the first Bioga baby, and we were all thinking, "Jesus, you know, let's wind this down." You know, it's kind of time to don't think we would have quit. I don't think that was ever on the cards, but maybe kind of start exploring our own little musical avenues and just doing a handful of gigs a year. And then when Ed came calling, it kind of didn't seem like the right time to to hang up the, boop, the boots. Um, what's it, there's an expression in the, the pop music industry, touched by the ginger hand of God. <laughs> so Eamon Murray, our baron player, has um, shortened it to the ginger Jesus so we just call him the ginger Jesus now. been to Quilty and Milltown and out home to Carricanlis, to Parky Cueve, um, to the studio with Bioga, and all the little places in between. And uh, there's a lot of depth in the, the stories that I've heard from my father in particular um, along the way here. And I think I kind of understand a little bit better and in a deeper way what I am made of and where I have come from and how I got to this place. And in a way, I think I'm just like the next cog in the ever-turning wheel as, as this goes forward. And you know, Irish music and traditional music—it changes, it moves, and it shifts. And uh, I'm kind of really privileged to be part of taking that on to the next, the next phase. <laughs> Atlantic Way. that's deadly isn't it, deadly. it. <laughs> if the weather was bad though it
3: would have been kind of ropey enough was it look at the rabbits, it's full of rabbits and that's where I stayed and I could hear the sea and I can hear it back those times as well you can hear it, mm. isn't it lovely
2: and you're coming down now teaching at the same festival all the years later I have later. Yeah.
3: I've been teaching there now for the last 15 years teaching at the Willie Clancy Week it's just kind of gone full circle all the way around.
2: And brings back all the memories then I suppose of
3: coming down. But I always come out here. When, yeah. I, when I come down for the week, I come out here and I go down the where the boys used to park, the caravans. And I sit there for a while and just think about it all, you know. Say hello. It's, it's a totally different way. Like, everything has changed completely. Do you know, you'll never again see that.
2: Probably not.